Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, entitled Our Covenant, an exposition of 1 Corinthians 1.30, we see the scriptural basis for our coming together as a covenanting family of believers in the body of Christ. We hope that you join us and uh, subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday. For us, we have been reflecting on our covenant as a church, just seeing the way that this passage is linked to and helps to motivate us in the way that we relate to one another as a church. This morning, we're going to be looking at Christ, our righteousness. And so that may seem quite slow. We're going about one word at a time uh, during this little series. And I have to admit, I'm loving every minute of it, um, just dwelling on Christ, uh, the way that our songs sing and, and that uh, we say all the time in every ministry that we take part in. And so I invite you, if you're all there, we'll stand as we read uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 30 together. And what I hope our being able to dwell on this is something that we'll be able to look to, memorize, and be able to recite because we're finding out just how much is included in just one passage of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I would like to do that again and this time be saying it at least to yourself, uh, if not aloud, and let's commit this to memory uh, somewhat this morning, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because we need you. We need you for all of these things. We've been studying the way that, that you have made Christ, something spectacular to us. Lord, that you have enveloped us more than the way in which we used to be enveloped in sin. And Father, we receive these mercies day after day. Lord, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Lord, we pray that you use this passage, that you use these gifts of God that Christ is unto us to draw us together as a body this morning. Father, that we would realize the relationship and the role that we each play given this wonderful work through your Son. Father, we ask for special blessings. Lord, that we would come not to know about you, not to know these things are true, not to just dive into scholarly study, but so that we can saturate ourselves in your word. 
And Father, we can really just ponder and meditate on the righteousness that Christ is on our behalf this morning. I pray that you would renew our understanding in this for these veteran believers and saints before me today. And Lord, if they've never heard this this morning, they would hear something that is very much a work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is good news to all those who believe. So Father, we look to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. If you have a bulletin, you'll notice a, an outline on the back. That is the outline that I'm following. Uh, a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. I'll help you through those. And so each, each one of these words is just like a jewel in that Scripture. And we've sort of seen the way that this serves as an introduction is almost like a thesis for all of Paul's teaching. He's going to continue to write to the Corinthians. Last week we talked about the wisdom of God. Now he's saying to us, it's because of God, of God, you're in Christ Jesus, who Jesus of God is made unto us righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. And so, for Christ to become unto us righteousness, we've got to first realize that he himself is righteous. Jesus is righteous. And so that first fill in the blank is the righteousness of Christ. We're talking about Christ's own righteousness. There's a number of ways in which I think this is true. First is that he's without sin. Now this is a number of ways. We might remember Psalm 51. This is a one of the favorites of mine. But in Psalm 51, verse 5, David says of himself, In sin did my mother conceive me. He's, re he's remorsing and repenting of sin. But he was very true. He was right. He was conceived and brought forth in sin. And that's true of me. It's true of you and every other person that's been born in Adam. We're, we're all born in to this sin. Now, while Christ was fully human, he was not a descendant of Adam the way you and I are descendants of Adam. We read in Romans 5, and you're, you're welcome to turn there, Romans 5, 12 through 19, Paul discusses the way that Jesus wasn't born into Adam, he was the second Adam. He says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, for under the law, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him who was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, 
And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That kind of wraps up our sermon. But what I want you to see is Christ was the second Adam. He was made not under this burden of original sin or this sinful nature that you and I have. He was made directly of God like Adam was made directly of God. We remember the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to conceive. And so he's not born into this sin. He's not, he's not bound by it or anything else. But what's greater is that Jesus was obedient. He was actively obedient. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9 says, Though he were a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Paul says in Philippians 2, 8, Being found in fashion as a man... He, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Another favorite of mine, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't know Sin. He was obedient in all that he did. So we could say that he was perfectly righteous. The obedience of Jesus Christ was both passive in that he wasn't born into sin, but it was very active in that he actively obeyed. His obedience was personally achieved or accomplished. And frankly, it's this perfect obedience that makes Jesus an acceptable sacrifice. He's the lamb without spot or wrinkle. He's the only able sacrifice for our sin. Jesus had no sin. Jesus was sufficient for us in this way. But you know, Jesus wasn't just obedient. Whenever we talk about the righteousness of Christ, Jesus is the righteousness that was prophesied about. Something beyond just a guy who was obedient. His righteousness wasn't accidental. In Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says in 23, in chapter 23, verse 5 and 6, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our 
righteousness. And he repeats himself, Jeremiah does in chapter 33, verse 15 through 16, virtually the same passage, wherewith it shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one that God foretold would be the righteousness for Israel. He would conduct righteousness in their midst. So Jesus was actively righteous. He was obedient. He was perfect according to the law. He was something greater. He was something God prophesied for Israel and all of God's people that he was sending to them on their behalf. More than this, Jesus conducts all righteousness still. At this point, it would be impossible for us to exhaust the good deeds of Christ. Just to give you a few examples, you might think of Colossians 1.17 or Hebrews 1.3 where all things are held up by the power of His Word. Jesus, through whom all things are created, that's a good and righteous work in creation. We could think of James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Remembering John one, nothing's made except that which is through Jesus Christ. And then Galatians 2.20, Paul even attributes every good work that he does, that Paul does to Christ. He says, it's not I who live, but Christ in me. We could ultimately attribute every good thing. Every good thing that, that we have we can attribute it to Christ. All the rest of this letter to the Corinthians emphasizes being in Christ. He's going to go on in exhortation. He's going to go on in encouragement. And he's going to say all of this takes place in Christ. Last week we talked about virtually every function in the church. And all of this righteous, all the good things that we do together that we can experience in one another is attributable ultimately to Him. And so Jesus is righteousness, and we need to get that. Jesus, so because of God, but of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, of God has made unto us righteousness. Jesus is that righteousness we're talking about. And that, that's the beautiful thing in all of this, is because He wasn't just simply righteous. But this righteousness is imputed to us. And that's a sticky word. But let me make this clear. Jesus did not come into the earth and He did not fulfill all righteousness that we just talked about so that we could follow His good example. That is not why Jesus came. And frankly, that would do nothing for you. I, I, I know what good things to do and I fail. Whenever we discipline our children in the home, I ask them, is that what you're supposed to do? Well, no. Ah, oh, there's the crux of the matter. Jesus is not a good example. Jesus fulfilled all this righteousness so that he could give it to us. Remember that. Maybe we should memorize this too. The 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we 
we, the believer, might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's a number of ways this is true as well. For one, we're declared righteous. This is what's meant. We read in Romans 5, we read in Romans 8, 30, those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When we read that justification, that's what that means, is when someone is declared righteous. We think of a court case. It, just here in, in America, when you come before the court, after all the evidence, after all the opinions, after every other thing, all the actions are considered, ultimately the fate of the defendant lies in whether or not the judge is going to declare them righteous or guilty. It is a declaration. Sadly, we see the shortfall of sinful man with his limited knowledge and sometimes that doesn't go so-so. But when we turn our eyes upon a good and just and holy God, we need to understand that you've been declared righteous. There's no way that you could make it into heaven with your sin. You know, that, that, God, God certainly loves the sinner, but he's not, He does not love your sin. Your sin's not making it into heaven. You're declared righteous. Even our own passage of Him, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness. That's a declaration. There's no contingency. He says, listen, God has made Christ unto us righteousness. We've been declared so. His Word declares it to be so. But more than this, that would be a little bit um, unsettling, wouldn't it? Can you imagine, thinking of our example of the court system, a hardened criminal, and sadly for us, we see, we see a lot of crime, a lot of theft, a lot of murder, a lot of rape. Imagine a hardened criminal coming before the judge and him saying, ah, slamming his gavel and saying, this one is righteous. Well, that's just not just, and that's not good enough. You see, it isn't enough to understand that God declares you righteous. You need to understand that we, the believer, is actually given the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't let you off. He's not an unjust judge. Whenever you bring all your sin before the court in God's house, He judges it. You don't get away. He judges it. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus came and He suffers the punishment that you are owed. He is a just judge and what He does is He rewards the righteousness of Christ in you. And so it's not as if God as judge swaps the verdicts. He swaps your very lives. You get the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel, that word gospel, that's why it means good news. It does not mean good advice. It does not mean solid instructions. It's good news. This has been done for you. 
This righteousness is given to us, but there's something even greater and more beautiful about all of this is that not only have we been declared righteous, we've been given His righteousness, but we are free now to act righteously. That may be a bit of a hang-up for you, and if it is, I'd ask you to turn to Hebrews 11.6. It says it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Maybe you would read Ephesians 2.1 where Paul says we're dead in our trespasses. I never seen a dead man do good work. Yet now, however, the one who is alive in Jesus Christ, the one who we read about in Romans 6 regarding baptism, therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a new life. Before us, we've been given an opportunity to actually be like Christ, to actually please God. We're not going in from selfish ambition. We see this all the time, and it's what I've heard best termed as false philanthropy. We, we all want to do these humanitarian efforts. Everybody, every, every unbeliever wants to do these humanitarian efforts. And none of those things ultimately please God if they are not to glorify Him. We just read from Jeremiah 9, we can't boast, we can't glory in our riches, our wealth, and anything that we do, we can't glory in any of our might. None of this is the glory. We glory in God. So we get this opportunity, we're given this righteousness, and then we're given an opportunity to actually do these righteous things, to live, to walk in newness of life in the righteousness that He bestows. And so now what we're talking about and finishing with is the pursuit of righteousness. This, this we can go in many different directions. Talking about the pursuit of righteousness. And there's much more to be said in regard to sanctification that we're not going to touch on. Luckily, we will next week, so don't worry. But that's in our passage. This week, we want to see, though, the way that we use our covenant that you would read coming in and out, just what we're about as New Life Baptist Church, what it means to be a church member, not according to our rules, but just by way of what we feel the Scriptures teach us. We want to understand how we use this to pursue this righteousness in this new life in a few different areas. And so if you look at the back of your bulletin, you've got a copy of the uh, now third paragraph of the covenant. We've just been breaking it up again. This isn't clean cut. There's overlap and whatnot. But I would invite you to look at that third paragraph and consider it. Again, we're not venturing into the method of sanctification. But we have a desire. This reveals our desire to pursue righteousness in Christ. And it begins with what? Our families. These are just a few helps, the applications, if you will. The covenant reads that we'll, we engage to maintain family and secret devotion, religiously educate our children, seek salvation of our kindred, 
The goal is not legalism in that, but it's leadership guiding those family, your family members to Christ. It's not saying, none of that says you got to try harder or, or meet this checklist. There's no checklist in there. It says, listen, we just we engage in devotion to Christ, education of Christ and salvation that comes through Christ of our kindred. And so in our families, I think that we need to become intentional. When you experience the righteousness of Christ this way, whenever you understand, listen, I'm a terrible wretch and I deserve hell and yet Christ has given me, through Christ God gives me His reward, you want to live in it. And so it's troublesome to say the least. It is not good for your health and, it, and frankly it's a little confusing for the Christian to so busy themselves beyond the capacity to have some level of devotion throughout their day. I mean, we, we, we've all been there, right? Um, but I just want to ask you, that's going to look different. I'm not asking you, you know, you got to uh, dive into in-depth study and, and set aside three hours or something like that. But let me ask, are, are you having, or maybe how often are you having spiritual conversations in the home? How often is that a topic of conversation? How well are you educating your children spiritually? Or one another, your kindred, and for this matter, I mean your spouse, cousin, these others. The thing about what is mentioned in the covenant, that's not the pastor's job. That's, that's your job. That's the parent's job. That's our job. It is my job. We, we, we've all, we, that's a covenant that we together, we just do in building one another up in this. Let me ask it this way. How often do we see parents pushing, pushing with reward, with punishment, pushing their students to become a winning athlete? Do we push them to run the race that God has put before them. We push our students to get good grades. Do we push them this way toward understanding, knowing the living God, getting the wisdom that we talked about last week? Maybe either one of those, maybe we push them this way because we want to see them succeed. Maybe we want to see them get into a good college or, or, or get a really good job and make lots of money. Maybe have a respected status in society. Be an upstanding uh, citizen who contributes. I just wonder, do we give this level of concern in our homes for Christ-centered righteousness? This is what our covenant says. Let me remind you, this is a template from 1833. Well, the covenant, I think, 53, 1853 by John Newton Brown. This is what for a long time people have valued in church membership. And I would say today we're a little ways from that. I say that because 
Government schools are full of children from Christian homes. Liberal universities are full of children from Christian homes. And listen, we praise, I think rightfully so, we praise, we praise their good grades. We pray, praise their, their successes and, and their careers, and, and, and rightfully so. And then we silently wonder why they never return to the church. One pastor has put it something like this. When we send our children to Caesar's school, don't be surprised they come back as Romans. The bottom line is, it's not what you're choosing in that way. The bottom line is, is we need to strive for our children, for our families to encounter Christ to receive this righteousness of Christ, not one day, but every day of every week. This needs to be our goal. Every one of us has family who are unbelievers. Hey, I do. I do. There are people I've struggled with in my family. There are those who God has graciously drawn in. There are those of my family who have flat out rejected me. This needs to be what we strive to do. It is the very best thing. Another area that we might look at is the world. Just simply put, this isn't some withdrawal. The covenant says that, you know, look, look there, we walk circumspectly in the world. We're just, faithful, and exemplary in the way that we deal in the world. The church really is called to be good citizens. Um, we're, we are called to uphold righteousness in the world. If it's true that we've received, we've been declared righteous, we've received the righteousness of Christ, and now we're walking in it, that is going to show somewhere. We don't have a basket over that light. People's going to notice and we're going to stand up for those things. It's right for the Christian to, to fight for the unborn or those who are marginalized. We don't, we don't lie at work, cheat on our taxes, or get back at demand. We don't do these things. The Christian is called to something more. Look at the travesties that's been coming out in the news about the sex trafficking. It's unbelievable. I mean, these are things, these are, these are networks that have been built up over years that no one knew existed. Of course, it needs to be Christians at the door that says, rectify this, save these children. We speak against injustices all over the world. It was Christians who stood up against slavery years ago, the same as we do today. We strive against every ungodly and unbiblical thing. That's good. We are the righteousness of God. It has been given to us. We do so according to truth, according to God's word. Not anything in us. Remember, Paul said, look, not, not any righteousness in me according to the law, but by the grace of God. We ought to be pointing people of the world to Christ. Seems like I've heard someone say, you know, if we don't, if the Christian doesn't have any unbelieving friends, that's a problem. Uh, we need to be in the world. 
just not of it. A third way that we see in our covenant, or at least in this area of our covenant, is the way in which the Christian is always fleeing sin. We can't have one foot in light, one foot in the darkness. Our new nature in Christ is one that flees from sin. Now listen, I know that we're not without sin. And don't look at me and and hear anything that I've said in a way that allows you to think that I believe that I'm without sin. It's just not true. I would be a liar. And yet, we cling to Christ. We cling to and even pursue the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the righteousness He's become unto us. Now, as you're looking at that covenant, and I want you to look at it there on the back of your bulletin, I can't begin to explain to you the way that tattling, backbiting, and anger affect the church. Look, even this church, this is why we have this covenant, is to say this has no place in the Christian life. We look to the righteousness that is in Christ. We offer one another not judgment, but grace. Surely we discern. Surely we guide each other to this righteousness. It doesn't say that we live like the devil. Listen, entire ministries, what follows there in that covenant Entire ministries are built and sustained, ones that we're very much a part of. We heard from our brothers at Friends of Sinners uh, just last week, uh, which is a crisis, a drug rehabilitation program centered on Christ, a wonderful thing. But listen, these ministries are built to remedy habitual alcoholism and drug use and ardent lust. That is a problem. I don't think... Well, I wasn't here very long before I had my first counseling session regarding lust. And it's no different. It's no different anywhere else. I don't want us to forget the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. Surely, surely our sins are certainly paid for in Christ. And yet the Christian is not pursuant of these things. We do not pursue after sin. We don't go on as we once were. Christ has been made righteousness unto us. Things got to change. Every, everything changes. And if it doesn't, Sometimes this is confusing for new believers. They walk the aisle or maybe if they've gotten away from it for a while, many of us have been there and we come back and we ask ourselves, what really changed? Was it real? Did it happen at all? And that is, it's quite confusing because if nothing changes, if you're living your life the same as you were before, you're at risk of scorning the blood of the one who saves you. We live in this righteousness of Christ. It's been done for us. Accept it. Accept it daily. In Sunday school, we talked about perseverance because Lord knows the trials are going to come. Lord knows you're going to fail because you all, we are failures. That's the whole point in fallen nature. <laughs> you know, 
Adam failed, we fail. We inherited his failing nature. The word sin literally means missing the mark. We miss the mark. That's, that's why it's so important that we cling to a righteousness that we can't achieve. So it's, this doesn't mean that we work hard to correct these sinful tendencies. It's not exactly what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is you come to Christ. You don't solve this stuff so that you can come to Christ. Come to Christ. And in Christ, you're going to be free of these sins and you're going to receive the righteousness that only comes through Him. Understand that. You've been declared righteous. You receive His righteousness, His life, His verdict, His perfection, His blood. You've been washed in the blood. And all of that sin, it's freedom. You're free from it. Paul answered his own question in Romans 6. What shall we say then? We continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we have been born in newness of life? Now we'll continue in sin. It's Things change. This we have Christ to thank for. Heavenly Father, we want to come to You and look to You. Look to You through the Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we think of all the ways as we look in the covenant and some of those things, the discipleship within our homes, uh, some, some of the sinful temptations that we know we have. We know our history with greed and with lust and with anger. And we know our history with tattling and backbiting and being critical um, of one another. And Father, we're going to lay it down. We even need help with this, God, because we want to cling to it. It seems like, like this man's just told us we've got to get things right that I'm not good enough. That's just it. We know we're not good enough. Father, we need the one who is good enough and we want you manifested in our life. Father, I want you manifested in my life. Father, help me to experience a righteousness. Lord, everybody wants to be saved from the pit of hell. We need to be saved from the effects of sin. Father, we're tired of every ungodly way, these bonds of sin. We're tired of looking out and watching the news and seeing people, our, our, our neighbors, our family members in bondage to a sinful world. And so, Lord, we have nothing to prescribe in some, by some way of life. All we know is that we need Christ. And Father, we beg You this morning that You would be with the saints that are sitting here. Lord, that You would equip them. Lord, that we would, that we would leave today and be so much more intentional about helping people to encounter Christ in, in, in His Word, and in our testimony, and in proclamation, and in the good news. 
Father, we pray that that maybe there's someone here who's not received this righteousness but has been chasing after it in vain on their own two feet. Lord, I pray that You would give them rest. I pray that they would receive Christ. They would receive Him for the first time. That they would receive Him anew. Lord, that we would recommit, that we would receive this righteousness and understand what it is You require, You have fulfilled. And so, Father, we look to You. We thank You and we praise Your name. We can even know such a good and loving God unlike any other. Father, I pray that You would unite us as a people, as a church, that we would look seriously at Your Word and seriously at the way that we we covenant with one another, that we would experience in this body a mentality of grace. Father, that we would look upon every sinner, that we would just point them to Christ and and give people Christ and we would see Christ in us and in one another. Father, that You truly would wash this body in the water with the Word. Lord, we look to You. for righteousness, for wisdom, for sanctification and redemption. We ask this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.